Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to a, a special episode here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I'm Stephen Gillespie. You guys know me from the Draft Deeper Show with co-hosts Nathan Grubel and Maxwell Baumbach. Today, I'm super excited because I've been working on coordinating this episode. You know, there's been some big developments within the basketball space over the past few days, and I'm fortunate enough to get one of the brightest members within the basketball community at large on the show today to talk about the draft in of itself and a couple of new positions that have opened up for him so far this year. But ladies and gentlemen, I first want to introduce our special guest, Matt Babcock. How are you doing, man? No, I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And, uh, and I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, absolutely. So this draft has been, um, it, it's been kind of all over the place. I feel like the coverage of it has been very deep. Um, you and I were kind of even talking about, you know, the way that draft coverage is nowadays, you know, there's so much exposure for these players that it, it makes for a great discussion and discourse throughout the year. But I just want to talk with you about some of the headliners, right? Because I feel like it's so easy to fall in love with some of these players that we expect to rise up and come up out of nowhere. But I feel like the, the discussion at the top has been largely assumed. So it's been a little under discussed. So with you, um, you know, being so respected in the space, you're well-traveled. You watch a lot of ball. I mean, a lot of ball. I, I know that you're a busy guy. Um, I want to just ask you first off, with the assumed, obviously, number one pick in this year's uh, draft class, Victor Wembanyama, what were kind of your thoughts about him coming into the year, and how has your viewing experience of him maybe changed or stayed the course? You know, how what's your take been on him so far this year? Yeah, I mean, I went into the year, I think, pretty similar to everybody else. I mean, just this guy that's, you know, a giant, you know, 7'4", 7'5", 8-foot wingspan and uh, very versatile and skilled. And then I went out to Vegas for those two games. Uh, I believe it was in October uh, mm -hmm. when they played against the G League Ignite. And uh, he, he he blew me away. And I know that's not a surprise to anyone, but, uh, you know, seeing a guy his size, shooting threes on the move, doing stuff off the dribble, uh, you know, while also blocking and dunking everything in sight. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I, I don't think we've ever seen a prospect quite like him. And I've said this a number of times. He, he, uh, you know, what he reminds me of is, is it's what uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would be if he played in today, right? Mm. It's just this guy that's so big and skilled and coordinated. Uh, I mean, I think he needs to add some weight, uh, but this guy's just a tremendous prospect. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's a huge economic benefit. You know, I've been saying that in a lot of podcasts where we talk about Victor Wimbanyama is that the, the amount of coverage that has surrounded him already, and he hasn't even set foot in, on an NBA court. You know, there's so much anticipation for summer league. Hopefully he plays and participates. You know, I, I know that that would be a big venue, um, big just first impression uh, for his NBA, you know, projection moving forward. But it's, it's just crazy the amount of fanfare that's already around an international player. I mean, usually we see, we've seen players like Zion Williamson come into the league and have such a, a massive following on social media and the, and the hype you know, videos that are going around on YouTube and things like that. But you mentioned that the 7'4", seven, 7'5", seven, just kind of alien, unicorn, whatever sort of metaphor that people want to link to him. He's just been phenomenal. I've kind of likened him to a seven foot four version of Jason Tatum. And I like to ask people kind of what they think of that comparison because of the ball skill, the handle, the fluidity and the, the well-roundedness of his game. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I haven't heard that one or, or thought it, but I mean, now that you say it, I mean, that, that is sort of what he is. You know, he's, he's, he's kind of like a hybrid forward, even though he's, he's so big, uh, he's mm -hmm. really not, not a, he's not a center. I mean, even though he's blocking and dunking, dunking a lot of shots, um 
you know, it's very much face up uh, perimeter oriented game. Uh, and really, we just haven't seen guy, you know, many guys like him. I, I think Chet Holmgren's kind of similar to him. I, this guy's sure. just on a whole other level of, of talent and, and size for that matter. Yeah, and I think that it's going to be kind of fun monitoring both of them because obviously Chet's missed a lot of time this year. Th- those two are probably going to be some of the front runners for the rookie of the year uh, in this upcoming NBA season. Probably not followed shortly behind, or he might even be ahead of him, but the second prospect I kind of want to talk to you about today Scoot Henderson. Now, Scoot is a player that I'm super fond of. There's a there's a big discussion right now. I'm sure that you've heard your fair share of it, Matt, where it's like how far behind is Scoot Henderson compared to Victor Wimbanyama? Because Victor might be the best player of a vert of an archetype that we haven't seen before, but Scoot has a strong case to be one of the better players that we've seen of his of his mold, right? Like that 6'2, 6'3 lead guard, the straw that stirs the drink, facilitator, scorer, well-roundedness, def- point of attack, defender, all of that. You know, what have you made of Scoot so far this year? Yeah, I mean, pretty much all, all, everything you just said. You know, you have to get the nail on the head. And uh, and the thing with Scoot is I, I've, I've been on him for a while. Uh, more than two years ago, his family invited me to their gym in Marietta, Georgia, uh, to mm-hmm. watch him work out and meet with them. And, uh, and just getting to know him back then, I think he was 16 years old at the time. And I kind of learned about his work ethic and his his killer instinct. I mean, it was during it was right after the the pandemic and the the, the full force part of the pandemic, and he was doing two three day workouts as a sixteen year old uh, on his own, and mm. uh, and just you know, and I, I could just tell he, he was so you know wired in, you know, laser focused, and uh, obviously had the tools to be a great player as well. I mean, he's got uh, you know just a naturally physical build. I mean, I know he work, works at it, too, and just very aggressive. He's got big hands. He's got big Kawhi Leonard-type hands. I mean, he, he pulled the ball off the ground like it's nothing. And um, you know, the biggest thing for me is, is his approach. He's, he's just he's just got the killer instinct, uh, total alpha dog. Uh, and you throw the talent in there, I, you know, to me, he's given me a lot of confidence over the course of the last two years uh, that this guy is going to be a lead, lead player. And, and it's an interesting draft where we've got, you know, one of the most hyped-up prospects – uh, it, it, it essentially in NBA history uh, mm-hmm. and you know whoever's getting the second pick I don't think they should be that disappointing because I think Scoop's got a chance of being a great player as well yeah and a, a couple points I want to make just kind of based off of the, what you just laid out first one I want to ask you is what do you think of the development that a prospect such as Scoot Henderson has to benefit from playing into the G League right because I think a little bit is made of you know his shot you know especially from deep uh, the the G League plays on an NBA size floor. You know, a lot of players, we got to worry about how they project, uh, adjusting their game to more space and a, a, a bigger court where Scoot got to benefit from playing a little bit last year in a, in a smaller role, so to speak, alongside some current NBA players. This year, he has the lion's share of the role in the in the games that we've seen him play in a second season, growing accustomed to that NBA size floor. Do you think that that has been, uh, you know, big for his development? Yeah, I think it's been it's been a good fit for Scoot. I, you know, I, I think there, there's so much, uh, so many different options nowadays than, than there used to be. I mean, with guys being able to go to Australia or overtime league, G League Ignite, obviously college. Um, and I think you know the optionality is great for for everybody. And I think there's pros and cons for each each outlet. Uh, you know, to me, going to G League Ignite, the, the biggest thing for me is uh, the competition level. I mean, Scoot's playing against grown men. I mean, it, it is every single game he's in is a total dogfight and. If, if you're able to uh, handle that, you're going to likely come out on, on the other end a lot better. And I think that's exactly what's happened to him. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, just to kind of uh, echo what I said before, 
he, he's built for it. I mean, the guy is a total mm. alpha dog. Uh, he's fearless. And so I, I think uh, I think he made a good decision going to the G League Ignite, and it seems like it's worked out really well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, one question I'm going to ask you, we talked about the shooting being a knock. I think the other one, especially in, in the modern NBA, unfortunately, he's not six foot seven. You know, he's he's six two, six three, somewhere in that neighborhood. And we've seen some players excel at that height, but we know that that's a tough threshold to clear. Uh, I don't have many doubts for for Scoot because, as you mentioned a, a few a few times, that I think he's built for it. But do you think that his that his size in terms of height is going to give him a significant disadvantage at the NBA, or is it something that he can work through? I'm not worried about it. I mean, you know, would I rather him be six five or six six? Like, yeah, he'd, he'd be like the next LeBron James, right? <laughs> but um, you know, it, it, he's got the, these big hands, these long arms. He's really physical and aggressive. Uh, I, I think he'll be just fine. Uh, as far as the outside shooting goes, uh, you know, he, he's definitely not a pure shooter, uh, but it's mm-hmm. not totally broken. I mean, he, he's shooting threes now. He's hitting threes. I think he, needs, he needs to get more consistent. And, and part of it is, you know, he's got these big hands, these long arms. He's so physical and, and, and aggressive. He's going like 100 miles per hour at all times, which is what makes him good. He's kind of, he's kind of in that Derrick Rose in his prime mold from that mm-hmm. standpoint. And so he's going so fast because he's got all these, you know, long limbs and all that. Uh, some wasted motion. It's hard. It's hard to make it a repeatable shot. Uh, but he's such a worker and such a tough kid. Uh, I think he'll he'll continue to get better. Uh, you know whether he'll be you know a total knockdown shooter ever or not. I, I don't think it really matters because I think he's good enough to essentially be an exception uh, as far as being like an on ball creator and he shoots it well enough. Like you have to guard him. It's not like mm-hmm. it's not like a Ben Simmons situation where you're going under screens and just kind of let him take shots. Um, you know, he, 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 can, he can make you pay for it if you, if you leave him open. Yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, Kobe Bryant, I believe, once said about Allen Iverson that we should be fortunate that AI wasn't six foot six. I, there's right. probably going to be a star make this, a similar comment right. about Scoot Henderson here soon. Last I question I got for you about Scoot. Um, I mentioned that I don't view Scoot as like severely worlds apart away from Victor Wimbanyama, although they are total, totally, two totally different players. Excuse me there. Um, how do you... Do you look at them on different tiers? Do you think that there is a significant gap between the two? You know, I mean, I, I do have Victor number one, just like everybody else does. Sure. Um, but I mean, I, I I would be open to the the idea that that Scoot has a chance of being the better player long term. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's that big a difference, but uh, I I don't see a scenario where Victor doesn't go number one. Uh, you know, barring anything kind of dramatic with medicals or anything like that. Um, you know, but it's it, it's relatively close. I mean, they're they're just two really good prospects. Absolutely. And and I'm with you. I have Victor Wimanyama one, but I don't look at Scoot too far behind. But ultimately, you know, if I have one, one and one, two, I think the story ultimately speaks for itself there. All right. So, Matt, one que- I got I got a couple questions for you here. Just speaking to the depth of this class, because obviously we just mentioned, you know, Victor Wimanyama, Scoot Henderson. What do you think about the total depth of this class? Because I feel like at a certain point, it's really hard to differentiate and distinguish like who you would rank where in terms of just overall value. I mean, I think this lottery is looking to be a lot better than maybe what some projected coming into the year, but that's just my personal take. How have you felt about the way that this class has developed over the past few months? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting draft. I, I mean, I love the top part, obviously with Victor and Scoot, it's so exciting, but even, even mm-hmm. after them, I, I'm really high on the Thompson twins. I think Brandon Miller's a, a tremendous prospect. And then that, that the tier right after that, I think there's probably another handful or so guys that you kind of debate on, on how they should be ranked. 
you know, and then getting into like the the late lottery, mid first round, I think it starts to kind of drop off a little bit. And then by the time we get to the second, I mean, I think it drops off a lot. So sure. a really great draft at the top. I'm not real excited about the depth. And here's another thing too, that I'm really interested to see how it plays out is guys getting in the second round. How many of these guys are going to stay in the draft? I mean, you've mm. got big NIL packages on the table and they could be at risk of possibly having to take a two-way or not know, you know, having to fully negotiate the contract. Uh, we could see some guys that that we, we thought might be in the draft might go back to school. So it's long, long story short, I, I'm not I'm not thrilled about about the depth and, and let's see who uh, who's actually in. Yeah, that's fair. And I think the NIL has been a, a big game changer for obviously college basketball. And then the way that overtime has kind of taken advantage of being able to maintain eligibility, being able to get NIL on top of whatever they're, they, you know, that they're, they're getting at their program, still providing a pathway for, for players to come in, get real good experience, real good coaching. Their facilities are outstanding. I've had the opportunity to go down there and meet the folks and, and see the place. And it's a really nice place, but then if they want, they can continue to go to the G league or go to college basketball. So the pathways for players now, is so tremendous, and I think that that does lend its, you know, lend a lot of opportunity for players to not necessarily feel like they do have to declare after one year. So, Matt, I, I got two questions for you. The first one: What do you think is the greatest strength of this class at large? You know, I think the game in, in general has gone into much more of uh, players that, that are valued that, that are versatile and have decent size. And I think there's a lot of like big guards and wings that could you know, be multi-positional on both ends of the floor. I, I think there's a lot of guys like that, that, mm. um, you know, aren't, aren't just one label. They're kind of do it all guys. I mean, like Anthony Black's sort of the poster child this year of being a six, seven sure. guy. And it's like, Hey, what position is that guy? He played three, four positions long-term potentially. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, uh, the, the, the prospect list each year is really reflecting where the game is going and how it's evolving. And uh, yeah, this, this year, I think, is a, a great example of that. Yeah, and I think that um, the versatility is a, a, a tremendous strength, right? Like the positionless basketball that has been uh, long discussed over the past few classes. I'm a big fan of the shooting prospects that are within this class. I think the floor spacing in this class um, looks to be probably one of the deepest that, we, that we've seen in quite some time. Um, I have another recommendation for what I would say is probably the most lacking skill in this class, but I'm curious to see what you would probably assess that to be. Yeah, similar to what I said before, as far as how, how the game's evolving, uh, I I think uh, you know the the demand for smaller speed guards is down. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's that many great true point guards or traditional point guards, if you will. Uh, and then um, you know same same story with with traditional bigs. You know, I mean, guys that we would have penciled in is as a five man or just a, you know, a, a defensive anchor that's going to be drop coverage type type player. Uh, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of guys like that. And so I think we're looking at a lot more of guys that are undersized four or five, like a Jarris Walker or a face up mm-hmm. big uh, like Kyle Filipowski. Um, it's just, you know, again, I, I, I can't repeat it enough. It's just the game is changing and the players are changing because of it. Yeah. And I, I think too, based on one exercise that I did, on one of the latest episodes of Home and Away, where I had Adam Spinella of the Game Theory Podcast on, and he and I kind of went through the best of this class. And I think that once we started talking about the playmaking in this class, there's not really a lot of creators. Once you get past, you know, your your Scoot Hendersons, obviously, and your Anthony Blacks, as you just mentioned, it, there's a steep drop-off in guys that you would trust to come in and, and maybe initiate on offense. There's a lot of play finishers, a lot of shooters, things like that. But I think that the playmaking at large in this class is a little bit weaker than I 
than I would have anticipated coming into the year. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And one thing that, you know, we've talked about when we're looking at, especially that uh, that second or third tier, however you want to do it after Victor Scoot and Thompson mm-hmm. and Miller, um, you know, a guy like Nick Smith, who's had a weird year where he's hurt and, you know, really had up and down deal. And he's finally trying to turn around. But like his his skill set, his style of play is very creative. And he's, he's a creator, uh, oh, yeah. which I think gives him the potential of being a dynamic offensive player. Uh, and, and to your point, there's just not a lot of guys like that. And so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, especially if he continues to, to play well and finish out strong of him going on the higher end of that group uh, b- because of those reasons. Um, you know, and, and again, too, I mean, Scoot Henderson, I mean, his value is going to be so high. Obviously he's not getting past two, I don't think, but I mean, his ability of being an offensive engine and, and you know, lead ball handler creator guys like that aren't, aren't coming around that often. So uh, I think when teams can get guys that have that upside and that style of play, you know, it's going to be coming on a premium. For sure. And then, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Amen Thompson, obviously being a, a great playmaker. And I'm really interested to see how Jalen Hushifino kind of finishes out the year, because I do think that he has some promise there, but I'd look at him more as like a score first kind of slithery guard who could grow into a really good passer as well. Yeah, no, um, I like Hushifino you know, too. And I, I followed him since high school and uh, he's mm-hmm. grown. I mean, he, he's a big kid. I mean, he's 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I think he play on the ball, off the ball. And the biggest sure. thing for me that, that, that translates is that kid is tough as nails. And, uh, you know, I, I think the what, what I'm juggling with him is how much upside does he actually have? Uh, but my, my confidence level is really high that he's at least going to be a, a solid NBA player. Yeah, and I'm I'm starting to get into a scary place. I don't know if I'm bored just because it's late February and I'm getting ready for different stages in the basketball uh, draft cycle here soon. But I'm starting to get into a scary space with him and how high I think he could actually go. Because I'm like you, we we fall in love with athletic players, but these guys who just know how to get to their spots, who know how to just meticulously pick apart the defense with size, body positioning and uh, know-how within the game. And then, oh, yeah, he's just a really solid mid-range shooter with uh, looks like that shot could project out a little bit further. Yeah, sure. I agree. Totally agree. All right. So, Matt, I mentioned at the beginning that we were going to have some draft talk, but really excited to talk to you about this next part of our conversation. You know, I've had the pleasure of getting to work with you before. You've been really supportive of me. And uh, since we've been on, you know, with uh, No Ceilings, myself and Nathan as well, I know that you've you've done some work with him. Um we're just excited for you and, and the continuous growth that you're having within your career. You've recently had, uh, you know, success with joining on with Cerebro. That that brand is just growing and growing and growing. But even more recently, you you landed a partnership with SI and Draft Digest. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, and no, I thanks again for for all the kind words. You guys are really good to me, and uh, I've got I've got a lot going on. And uh, yeah, so the two things you just mentioned. So just announced that uh, I'm now going to be a senior NBA draft analyst for Draft Digest, uh, which is a part of Sports Illustrated Fan Nation. Uh, and, and what we're doing is I'm, I'm going to support all the writers they have in place and and, and the infrastructure they have in place. But then we're launching a different section of the site called Draft Digest Pro. Uh, and so my rankings, my big board, mock draft analysis. And then uh, it's all going to be behind behind a paywall on that section. And then I'm also bringing some of my guys, Doc Martin and Jason Felipe, uh, both okay. have you know 15, 20 years of NBA experience with scouts. Um, you know, Jason is in Bologna, Italy, so he's he's sort of our international expert. Uh, and then my right hand man, Derek Murray, who, who's now the the head of basketball for Cerebro Sports. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep keep it together and uh, keep keep it rolling and uh, just creating a lot of content and, and really trying 
uh, to challenge ourselves to, to take it to the next step and the next level. I mean, we've got we've got a great support system with the with the bigger the bigger outlets behind us, and uh, you're really just trying to, to create uh, a, a great outlet for people that that want to take a deep dive on the draft. To, you know, whether it be uh, people within the industry or just your you know your casual fan that's just you know really wanting to uh, you know use it as like an entertaining outlet. Um, and then you know uh, talking about Cerebro Sports a little bit. Uh, so mm-hmm. I mentioned Derek, uh, you know, was hired as head of basketball and they raised a bunch of money. Mark Cuban is a big, big investor. And, uh, Derek really influenced them to scale out and add a traditional scouting element to it, which is where I come in. And uh, so it's me and several other guys that are, you know, true, true basketball guys that games a lot, you know, uh, have strong networks at the different layers of basketball. And, um, you know, we're, we're providing uh, you know, Intel background information, scouting analysis to teams and, and, and various clients. And so I'm really excited to be a part of those two things. And uh, I've got a couple other things going on, too. Um, I'm, I'm a part of Forma Zero, uh, Damian Lillard's uh, elite camp that's also a community. Okay. Um, I was I was loosely a part of, part of it last year. Uh, they gave me a little bit of an elevated role this year where I'm going to uh, oversee the player selection committee and kind of help them with some of the business. But really excited about that. Uh, Dame is a very, very special individual and just having spent a few days with him last year, I, you know, I see why he's become so successful. He's just, he does everything the right way. Uh, it's a no, you know, no nonsense kind of guy. And, and his, uh, his longtime trainer, Phil Beckner is a good friend of mine and, and he's wired the same way too. And so what, what they're trying to do is uh, essentially use the formula, which is the recipe that Dame's followed his whole career. Uh, we're trying to share it with the, with the younger generation of players coming up. Uh, and it's just really, really, really a great thing for the game and all these young guys. And really happy to be part of that. And then uh, have have a podcast, uh, the Matt Babcock Show, which I'm doing through Title League. Uh, okay. Really had a fun fun time with that, sharing some stories growing up in basketball, working in basketball. And we just started uh, sort of mixing in some in person interviews. Uh, I was just at Overtime Elite. Uh, we had a big big production set crew. I uh, interviewed the Thompson twins, which that that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. And hoping to hoping to talk to Scoot next. And I think Dame's going to come on, but yeah, I got my got my hands in a bunch of stuff, but all all basketball. So life life is uh life is good. Yeah, I mean, just a couple couple little guests here and there, right? Just uh, a couple of names that people may or may not be familiar with. But um, Matt, just I, again, I, I'm super excited for you. I'm trying to keep up with everything that you have going on, and yeah, me, you me just, too. <laughs> it's I I know. I was about to ask you what what's that like? You know, just having your hands in so many pots because. Listen, even in my little small world, I, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I have four kids. I, I work in the Navy and I do and I do scouting. Right. So I get asked how I do it. And I just say I have an awesome wife. <laughs> What's it like right. for you to have so many different projects going on and giving each one like the adequate amount of attention? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I, I also have an awesome wife. My, my wife, Megan, that hold, holds down the fort, allows me to travel and be aggressive and chase my dreams. And I, I made a deal with her that we, uh, we'll we stay in Denver, Colorado, if you let me kind of be assertive and you know, build out my business. So that's what we've done, and it's working well. And, uh, you know, my, my experience as an agent, you know, worked in that, that side of the business for 10 years. It, it really kind of trained me to juggle a lot of things and multitask and whatnot. And I've really kind of just naturally evolved into being – you know, somewhat of an entrepreneur in, in the basketball space. And uh, my biggest challenge lately has been uh, I've been needing to learn to, to say no. I, I'm usually a okay. person who says yes to the opportunities. I like helping people. I like being involved in things and just having to pick and choose a little bit more. And because, uh, you know, I've got I've got a full play, but, um, you know, I, I've set it up to where most of the things I'm doing, there's some overlap and uh, everything's basketball, you know. And so it's just, uh, you know, my, my, my good friend, Fran Fischel, always says this, that he's never worked a day in his life because we work mm. in basketball. And I, I feel the I feel the exact same way and just, very, very, uh, 
very lucky to, to be doing all the, all the different things I'm doing. Well, I mean, if you and Fran Fischillo, who, by the way, like, I love Fran. I could watch him and listen to him talk basketball all the time. He He's just one of the best minds in the space. You as well. I'm just, again, just hats off to the wives. Like, at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. It sounds like we're both following that that same game plan there. But, Matt, um, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I You just listed off 100 reasons why. Um, you're a man that has a – you know, a lot going on. So I, I just appreciate you giving me a little bit of time out of your day. Um, But before we go, I would just like to, again, give you the opportunity to kind of share where folks can find you, follow your work and anything that you feel like you could maybe leak a little bit. I, I don't know if you can on any of the projects that you that you have going on, but um, floor is yours. Yeah, no. So again, a draft digest, we're, we're getting it together right now. Uh, we should be launching that in early April, but check out the stuff that we have there. We, we had a, a great group of writers and scout, scouts, and draft analysts. Um, the Matt Babcock show, I think we've got like 12 episodes out already, uh, and we're really looking to scale that out. I mean, like, like I mentioned, we're uh, uh, I'm, I'm lucky that our production company is uh, really wanting to double down and fly me around and talk talk to some basketball people and uh, should, should have some great content coming out. And uh, Cerebro Sports, uh, you know, it's really quickly becoming – uh, the best scouting tool in the business. I mean, it's a, it's a great hybrid of uh, analytics and traditional scouting. We're really trying to bridge the gap and, and create something that uh, essentially is, is revolutionary in the basketball space. And um, I could probably keep going on and on, but those are the main things to check out. <laughs> Where can folks uh, follow you on social media, Matt? Yeah, uh, main outlets are uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's the same, uh, same name, at Matt Babcock 11. All right, perfect. All right, well, as... For myself, you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. Please follow No Ceilings NBA at No Ceilings NBA on Twitter. And go check us out at um, No Ceilings TV on YouTube as well. Subscribe to us on the Substack, NoCeilingsNBA.com, where you can find great written work at least five times a week, six days a week when I'm not on assignment. I'm producing on Sundays or when I'm not pitch hitting for somebody else. But we just have a, a deep team and we're constantly coming out with stuff for myself. Um, you're going to be able to listen to me on Sunday on Draft Deeper. I'm also going to be in the building to scout UCF and ECU. I'm excited to get to watch Taylor Hendricks. And I like Brandon Johnson a, a good bit out of ECU, so I'm excited for that game. But, Matt, again, thanks a thousand times, man, and we got to get you back on. Uh, next time we have you on, it's not going to be soon enough. No, hey, any, anytime. You guys do a really great job, and uh, I'm just glad to be associated with you. Uh, and, and likewise, my friend, but we'll be talking to you soon. And as for all you fine viewers and listeners, we'll catch up with y'all next time. Much love, everybody. Mm-hmm.